You're listening to Return Again, where we look at Aliyah through the lens of Olim who have lived in Israel long enough to have perspective. I'm Goel Jasper, and today's guest is Danny Bibbins. I met Danny on a recent vacation I took, and when I heard his story, I just had to figure out a way to have him share it with all of you, even though it required a two-plus-hour trip up to Kibbutz Tirat Tzvi up in the north in order to speak with him. It was a ride well spent, and his story is great, but it was his perspective on life that truly inspired me. So... Here's Danny Bibbins returning again. Danny Bibbins. Thank you for uh, having me come to this beautiful kibbutz of Tirat Tzvi. It's uh, a little warmer here than it was on that ship we met on. <laughs> yeah, it's quite warm in Tirat Tzvi. A lot of people say it's uh, like Arizona. I guess they compare it to that. And uh, the heat is, uh, it can get very hot here. <laughs> you know, 50, it's not exaggerated. You know, I wouldn't be exaggerating, you know, if I, if I said that it could get up to 50 degrees here, you right, know, which is well over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, right? You know, like it's it could be really, really. Uh, it's amazing because the first time I came to Tiratsvi, I got off the bus. I came by bus and I got off the bus. The bus was air conditioned, so I got off the bus, and as I <laughs> as I got off the bus, I this wave of hot air hit me <laughs> in the face. I thought I was in an oven. I thought. <laughs> God, you know, where am I? They must be in an oven, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. But, uh, you know, they say you can get used to almost anything, and uh, the peop- people live here. They live in this heat yeah. during the summer, and um, most of the houses here are, you know, every house is air-conditioned, even the tractors that they work on in the fields. But it used to, it used to be that it wasn't that way. So we'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. We'll all get right. there. We'll get to all of that and how you wound up specifically in this place. But right now we're sitting in this Beit Midrash, a beautiful Beit Midrash, here in Tirat Svi, with the air conditioner on. Right. <laughs> but let's go back a few years okay. to when you were a kid. Okay. When was the first time you heard of the concept of Israel or living in Israel or anything like that? I guess uh, from yeshiva, yeshiva, you know, and uh, it was something that um, we, we heard from. I can't say as a little kid I really understood the concept of living in Israel. There was something distant and, you know, only, you know, only the, the patriarchs are the, you know, or or the rabbis, the great rabbis, you know, lived in Israel. I mean, we didn't, uh, I couldn't, I guess, fathom it, uh, you know, fathom the idea as a little kid, only when I got older and I got involved in uh, B'nai Kiva. Right. You know, like, uh, then it became, you know, more of a reality, you know. Um, Also, the events of, you know, that happened, the Six-Day War, you know, and and other things that happened, uh, you know, those things uh, made Israel more, you know, real. So, if you don't mind me asking, what year were you born? <laughs> 1955. Okay, 1955. So, so in, in New York, correct? Right, right. So, so you're, you're growing up in, like, the, the early to mid-60s in New York. What is life like for Danny Bibbins as a kid? Uh, 
I can, I guess I can say that life was hard. Right. I mean, as a, as a kid, life was uh, pretty. At, in the very beginning, I didn't think that it was hard or feel that it was hard, but uh, things changed for me. Um, when I, my first memories of going to school, I was in a public school in the, at the very beginning. In, I think it was kindergarten or pre 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 uh, first grade, um, and uh, there were all sorts of kids there. I, I I don't remember myself wearing a kippah at the time. Um, I remember being around you know other little kids, and um, one day my father just said that. Um, He's going, you know, I'm going to be going to a different school. Okay. And, uh, and the different school was uh, yeshiva. Right. And uh, I'm a little kid, what do I know, you know? So I, I, I guess I, fin I finished kindergarten in this one place, and the next, the other school that I went to was a, was a class, and it's very interesting. When I walked into the class, you know, or I sat down, uh, all the kids were wearing kippot. I also had a kippah. I wasn't foreign to the uh, the idea of kippah, but I don't think I wore kippah every day as a little right. kid, you know. And and only when I got to go to yeshiva, uh, I started wearing kippah every day. But um, as a very small kid, you know, I didn't. And when I was in that other school, that uh, kindergarten place, in, it was a public school, I think. And, uh, you know, and now that I think of it, I could have done first grade twice. Because, oh, okay. um, you know, like, I don't, I don't, as I'm thinking about it now, I don't... You had, no, you had no Hebrew background or anything like that? Or lean with the Kodesh background? Not at all. Right. But, uh, but I knew a little bit. My father, like, was, was always praying, you know, he used to pray in Hebrew because my father was very involved in Judaism and uh, he taught me the Aleph Bet, he taught me you know, uh, Hebrew letters, so I wasn't foreign, you know, there wasn't something foreign to me. But uh, when I was in this kindergarten place, there were girls in class. Right. And when I went to the yeshiva, there were only boys in the, in the class. And uh, you know, I would just remember that now, you know, that uh, I think it was, you know, very strange for me. And um, also, there were, in the kindergarten place, there were kids of different colors, you know. Right. I wasn't the only black kid, you know. Like, but here, when I went to the yeshiva, I was the only black kid, and that was, that was uh, the big difference for me, because... In the whole school. In the whole school, in the whole school. Right. And when, a year later, my brother joined the school, right. and... Uh, we were the only two, but I, but it, I, you know, my brothers. For all I know, I never, I, I would spend the day by myself. I wasn't in the same class as him, so, sure. so like I sort of remember myself growing up alone, you know, in a situation that was uh, peculiar, I guess. So, for how many years did you feel kind of alone? I mean, this wasn't what we were going to focus on, but we yeah, should still address it. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't that I felt alone. It's just that. I never had the feeling of being different until right. I went to yeshiva. <laughs> Once right. I got into yeshiva, I knew I was different. Yeah. Cause, because um, the kids would look at me and they wouldn't, you know, like, what, what's he doing there? 
I don't remember having problems making friends. I'm sure the first couple of days, you know, like I was alone, I didn't, it was strange, I, you know, it was hard for them. Or I don't, I, but I don't remember uh, having problems making friends. I, I did have, there were kids that used to pick on me, but uh, eventually that stopped. In our history class, we'd learn about, you know, like the revolution, or they would be talk about the Negroes. Right. Yeah, so that would be a topic that uh, all the kids would turn around and look at me. <laughs> you know, like right, when you're seven years old, you have no tact, uh, right? Yeah, you know, like in, uh, it was, it was uh, yeah, those, that was a little bit, uh, you know, disheartening, I guess, you know. I, I, I am a sensitive person, and uh, all in all, growing up in yeshiva for me was, uh, wasn't uh, terrible. It, it was a unique experience, you know. I, I uh, eventually made a lot of good friends in the yeshiva. I was also very well known in the yeshiva. I had, uh, you know, most everybody knew me. Hmm. I think overall my experience in the yeshiva was pretty good. Also, I wasn't a bad student. I was, a, you know, a pretty good student. And, and I imagine based on how you're saying that, you were an excellent student. No, I won't. No, no. no. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were just being humble. No, no, I, no, I, no. I had my, I had my. I hated math. Okay. I wasn't, uh, math was, uh, it was for me it was uh, terrible. I was terrible right. at math, but uh, I didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I don't know how many kids did care about, uh, but I was terrible at math. But uh, I was good at a lot, you know almost everything else. And, what uh, kind of a yeshiva was it? I don't yeah. need the name, but like, what, what was the oh, I can tell you the name. The name uh, was uh, Yeshiva Zichron Moshe. Okay. And it was like one of the big religious uh, schools in, uh, in New York. It was very, very well known. The Rosh Yeshiva was uh, uh, a guy uh, with a rabbi, Rabbi Gerelik, was sure. the Rosh Yeshiva there. Sure. And the principal was an amazing, amazing man uh, named Dr. Schnell. Who had a phenomenal memory. He was uh, just an incredible principal. Incredible. I think I think Dr. Schnell saw a lot of things in me, but only after they realized, after a year or two, what the kid was made of. You know, like right. uh, I'll I'll tell you a story. Okay, uh, the, this was we're talking about 1960-61. I think right. about. Because I was born in 55, I was six years old, seven yeah. years old. Like, so we're in 1960, 61. Most of the rabbis who taught in the yeshiva, they were European, you know, they came from Europe, most of the rabbis. In those days, I think uh, the overall, probably the majority of rabbis who taught in the yeshiva, yeshiva were European-born. So they spoke Yiddish right. most of the time. And as a little kid, in first grade, we had to, um, on one of the assignments uh, close to Pesach, was to learn the Manishtana, okay? And they gave out a little a sheet of paper to all the kids to learn the Manishtana, but it was written, from, it was written in Hebrew and translated to Yiddish. Right. <laughs> so they gave this piece of paper to me, and... I, you know, could understand the Hebrew, but I didn't know what this other <laughs> the Yiddish. It's also written in Hebrew, but I couldn't understand it, and I didn't know what it was. And yeah. and uh, and they told me I had to learn it. You know, that was the misima. I think 
the teacher probably thought, you know, well, you know, he's not going to be here for any, you know, for a long time anyway. So, wow. anyway, so the story is, I, I, I take the, I go home, I, I give the paper to my father, and I say, I have to learn this, you know, and, and uh, my father looks at it, and he also has problems making it out. Right. You know, he knows a little bit of Hebrew, but he didn't, you know, like he can't figure out the other stuff, but. The, but I guess he realized that it was Yiddish, and I, you know, didn't know what it was. So my father took me to the candy store. There was a little grocery store you know, on sure. the corner of the, in the neighborhood, yeah. on the corner of the street. And there was a little Jewish man who used to run this uh, candy store. So my father goes up to the Jewish man who knew my father because they lived. He, my father lived there, and they used to go by there. And he says to the to the owner, he says, "Look," he says. Uh, my son, you know, is going to the yeshiva, and he has to learn this, you know, Manishtana. He has to learn it for, for school. And uh, I was wondering, you know, if you could maybe, you know, help him, you know. Right. You know, like, uh, you know, like uh, after he comes home from school, you know, go over it with him. And so the, the man agreed. He agreed. Right. And... Uh, I would come home from school, walk over to the grocery store, take out the paper, and the guy would like uh, tutor me. Yeah, you know, like you know, he would read the Hebrew, then I read, then he he'd read the Yiddish, and I would, you know, say it after him, and go over it until I had all four questions. Right. And uh, I guess, you know, he did a good job because. When I got to school, you know, like the next week, and I had to, the kids had to get up and say it. Right, right. So the teacher says, uh, Daniel, do you know your Manishtana? So I said to him, yeah, I do. So he says, uh, well, say the Manishtana. So I said, you know, Favos is the Nachfun Pesach, Andere, Funale, Nachfun, Aganza, yo. You still he remember said, it? He said, he said to me, Stop, stop, stop. He went outside. <laughs> he called the principal in. And he says to the, he says to the principal, Daniel, he says, uh, stay here, watch this. He says to the principal, Daniel, say, uh, said to me, Daniel, say, say the Manishtana. So I started again. Yeah. Yeah. So the the principal starts smiling. He's right. got this big grin on his face. But the thing about the principal, you could tell it was a, it was a grin of uh, pride, you know? He was a... <clears throat> um, <I don't> know. <coughs> like it meant something to him. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> And, and, and at that moment, could you see that it meant something to him, or just thinking back? No, just thinking it? back on it. Yeah. So just that was think, an important just, moment. Just thinking back on it, because uh, he was always, um, he was always, you know, like very positive, always on my side, always wanting, always wanting to. Uh, he always pushed me, and he told my father. He said, you know, you have to push Daniel. Because well. he's a little bit lazy, <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't push him, you know, he's not going to, you know. But, uh, but yeah, so he was like really, 
and I and and I think for the principal and for the school, it was a turning point in there because I don't think they re they really thought that I'd last. You know, they right. accepted me, my brother. I don't know why. I don't I don't know to this day. I don't know what was the reason they accepted us as students in the mm. yeshiva because there's almost there was it was almost unheard of you know like these little black kids you know going to uh, uh, this is a real like a mainstream yeshiva main, yeah, respected mainstream, whole thing, you know yeah. like a European you know right. type you know yeshiva that uh, was very well known amongst especially amongst the really religious, you know, uh, Jews in, in, in New York, and it, was a, it had a good reputation. The Rosh Hashiva was, was very well known, and, uh, and we, we, we were accepted into this yeshiva. Now, the thing is that my father, who was, I guess, enamored with the idea of, of Judaism and very much wanted to be Jewish, wasn't Jewish. Still, still at that point was not Jewish. At that point he wasn't right. Jewish. And my, you know, we weren't Jewish either. Me and my brother, you know, we weren't Jewish either. So you're so saying the four questions in Yiddish and you're still not Jewish. Right. So, <laughs> so at this point, wow. how does a, a black family from, you know, New York, you know, Get to get to this point where they're, you know, they want to be Jewish or they they think that they're Jewish. That, you know, how did they get to that? So you have to go back, I guess. You have to go back uh, maybe in 1940s or 50s, and I'm, and there are people who have have dug into this. I I, I personally haven't dug into mm -hmm. it, but mm -hmm. I I've heard. That because of the situation with uh, um, um, black people, colored people in the United States, who who had lost their identity, and were trying to rebuild and get back, find it, an identity, many of them had gone to Christianity. Sure. And there were other views that thought that, well, Christianity might be a white man's religion, you know, and might not necessarily be. A religion that the Africans who came, or you know, to America had in the beginning, and maybe it was something else. So there were two schools of thought. One one school of thought said, okay, probably the Africans had, a, you know, were part of a Muslim Muslim religion, and there was another school of thought that th thought that maybe some of these, you know, Africans are connected to the lost tribes. Right. And that was an idea that uh, my grandfather had had, had. and he, he, I guess, passed that idea along to his son, my father. Right. And it was so, uh, such a strong idea within my grandfather's mind that he started to, not only did he believe it, but he started to preach it, you know, to other black people. Right. That that um, the lost tribe, you know, like uh, blacks who came from, you know. Now, the reason that they, that I, the, you know, like I'm not an expert on this, but right. I guess the reason that they were attracted to this was because of the story of this, you know, the Bnei Israel leaving 
uh, Egypt as slaves, you know. And it's a parallel story. Yeah, right? and going to freedom, to the new land. And this, so a lot of blacks uh, got attached to that idea that they had left, uh, you know, slavery and they were going into a new land. And this is maybe, you know, maybe a parallel to the Jewish story and 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 maybe they are connected somehow to the lost tribe. But um, I, I never, my, myself in the, I myself never, you know, saw any proof to that. It, it also didn't, uh, I never thought it was important, mm. you know, in terms of, I never thought, you know, your past is your past and it's not, you know, it doesn't say anything about who you are as a person right now and doesn't, there has to be an affirm, affirmation of who you are now, not so much based on what you were or where you came from. Maybe that doesn't sound... I got it, I got you it. You know, anyway, I'm just talking about this, this particular situation. And then, anyway, so years later when my father, who with the help of some, some good uh, Jews, who wanted to my father to to make the next step? Yeah, you know, they 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 uh, made an arrangement for him to see Rabbi Tzavetzik. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> he's still not Jewish at this point. He's still not Jewish, and and I'm about ten, eleven. Still in the school. Still in the yeshiva. Still in yeshiva. So when my father meets Rabbi Salvechik, he says, you know, I know Mr. Rabbi Salvechik, you know, I'm, my name is uh, Bibins, you know, I, I want to become Jewish. And uh, Rabbi Salvechik looks at him and he says, uh, Mr. Bibins, he says, uh, why would you want to do that? You have enough problems being black, you, know? <laughs> you don't need to aggravate them with being Jewish also. Right. And so my father says, yes, but uh, I, I very much want to be Jewish. I feel that, uh, you know, I feel uh, closeness to Hashem. I want to, I, I you know, practice Judaism. I want to, and my sons are in yeshiva and they're learning. And, <laughs> and Rabbi Salvechik stops him. He says, your sons are in yeshiva. And he was angry, not, right. not happy. Right. He was angry. He said, how did your sons get to be in yeshiva? He didn't understand, and and this is the like the mystery, you know, like, and maybe it's a twist of fate, you know, that uh, that you end up being someplace, you, you know, you think you're not supposed to be, but you you're supposed to be, but right. it, uh, the the you know, like makes uh, you know does a, f a few a few moves, you know, and right. pulls a couple of levers, pulls a couple, yeah. you know, and. <laughs> So he says, uh, do you have sons in yeshiva? You have children in yeshiva? And my father says, yes. So he starts talking to his, uh, you know, the rabbinim there, the other rabbis there on the side, you know, and he's not very happy. He says, Mr. Bivens, he says, I'm sorry, but I don't think, you know, I didn't, you know. And he sends us away. He sends my father away. So, but my father goes back. Right. And he goes, and he gets sent away again. And he goes back a third time. He gets sent away, and he goes back a fourth time. And then Rav Savetchik agrees. Right. Uh, I'm, you know, like I'm not. I didn't know, you know, like all of this until I was much older. <clears throat> but um, eventually, my father, you know. Um, 
was uh, converted. And uh, the Betin that uh, converted well, our family. I was uh, going to say, it's not just your father at that point, right? It's everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah my father he came to me and yeah. said, you know, he said, uh, I want you to know that um, we're going to be, because the date was set. So he says to me, I want you to know that we're going to go, you know, and become Jewish. And I said, we're not already? <laughs> I was a little kid, and right. I'm doing this already, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm in it, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and Keeping I, kosher the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, we're in it, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, and uh, we have Pesach, which by us, Pesach was a phenomenal holiday, I mean, in our house. I'll tell you a little bit about Pesach later, but I, I said, you know, like I said to my father, I said, we're not already, he says, no, we have to, you know, convert. I didn't know what that meant, you know, but uh, he said, uh, I said, ah, but so, you know, like, if I'm not Jewish, what am I? I'm not, you know, nothing, you know, I, 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 that's all I know. That's, yeah. you know, I don't know anything else. And, um, you know, like, it's funny, because as a, a little black kid, I grew up in a white Jewish community, society, you know, because I was in school all day. Right. And all my friends are, you know, like white Jews, middle class, you know, like very uh, different than what was going on outside, you know, like sure. in the streets, you right. know. Right, of course. So I'm sort of like, I'm alienated to a certain extent from the rest of the world. I'm alienated from the black community, from, mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. from the non-white Jewish community, from, from you know, because white people and during the 60s, you know, they don't want to see a little black kid, you know, they yeah. don't want anything to do with him. And, and that was my world. My world was being in the yeshiva, you know, like in having and my friends who, who were, you know, and those are the guys I, hang, I hung out with. Right, uh, and uh, it used to be sometimes a big, you know, a little bit terrifying. Why well, I used to walk around with a kippah as a little kid, with a, this little thing, and all the time, you know, these uh, non-Jewish kids would ask me, you know, "Hey, what's that thing on your head? You know, <laughs> you know, what, what are you wearing? <laughs> you right. know? They didn't know, yeah. they, they didn't know, you know, what, and you know, the black kids, you know, were like would get rowdy, you know, with me sure. and say, you know. Well, you do, you know. Really? And uh, yeah, you know, like and I. Would it turns out you weren't. And <laughs> well, at the time, no. Right. At, that, at that time, right, no. Right. At eleven, twelve, I was uh, twelve uh, already. I think uh, I, we did the giur. Mm -hmm. So, so the rabbis yeah. on the giur were were at the time on on the star on the you know on the document yeah. of the giur, the rabbis that signed were Rabbi Lichtenstein, who was still in the States at the time. Right. They were talking about... Uh, That's right, he was teaching at YU at that point. Yeah, and yeah. Rav Riskin. Right. And uh, Norman Lamb. <laughs> I was, you know, I say, you know, wow. You know, like uh, when I got older and I looked at the people that were signed on the star, I said, you know, like, yeah, I'm more Jewish than uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like right. these other... That's right. <laughs> so in this yeshiva, that's an incredible story, by the way, but, but I want to I yeah, get yeah. back to Israel. Did Israel have any place in that yeshiva? Obviously, Eretz Yisrael did yeah, as yeah. an ideal yeah, or whatever. An idea. But, but, but no, I did, the, for us, it was irrelevant. For, right? for us, it was Bnei Akiva. For for me, it was so, Bnei so Akiva. That, that, that's where I'm going. Like, so so your dad decides that this yeshiva, this like what we would refer now 
as a Haredi style yeshiva yeah, maybe, yeah. Um, was, was where he decided that's where you should go but Bnei Akiva was not aligned with that yeshiva and that yeshiva certainly was not aligned with Bnei Akiva so ben, how did Bnei Akiva jump into your life? Bnei Akiva uh, how did Bnei Akiva jump into my life? Was, yeah like they're not connected it, it's not and I think in those days hmm. Bnei Akiva was uh, wasn't so much uh, um, anti-Haredi it wasn't uh, Bnei Akiva was trying to pull in anybody who was Jewish and anybody who was a religious Jew and yeah. who had not known about because the idea of Bnei Akiva was to teach American Jews I'm talking about Bnei Akiva and Chutzlar right, sure. to teach American Jews about uh, Eretz Israel that was the whole thing, you know, right. like, and, and eventually... Simpler back then, right? Yeah, and, and, and eventually to get them to think of Eretz Israel as their homeland and to want to come to Eretz Israel and want to help build it up. That was the whole, you know, like the whole thing of Bnei Akiva, you know, and, uh, and you would sit and talk about, you know, they would, the, the, the Madrichim would tell stories about Bnei Akiva, Usually the Madrichim were people that had been to Israel and right. came back and, and they would tell you stories and, and um, we would sing, you know, songs, you know. But for me, the <laughs> you know, it's embarrassing to say, but I grew up, like you said, like in a very you know, sort of not yeah, Haredi type Yeshiva, of... Yeshiva, I should say. Yeah. yeah, so I didn't know about... Look, I, until 15, 14, I didn't know anything about girls. I didn't know anything, you know, had no contact with the uh, opposite sex. And all of a sudden, somebody invited me to sniff. Right. Right, to the chapter of Bnei Akiva. So you can. And, I, and it was my first time going to the... And it was the first time I was in a religious setting where there were boys and girls together, mm. you know. So I said, wow, this is something different. You know, <laughs> this is... This is, uh, it was, and I think, you know, Rabbi Riskin said to me years, you know, later when I went, when I'd gone to Israel, I, I turned 18 and I, uh, I went to Hachshara. Mm-hmm. I went to Hachshara, I was in the, a year in Kibbutz Saad during the, Mil, you know, Milchemet Yom Kippur, and uh, that was a very interesting year. And then I spent another year, I stayed another year to learn in, um, Yeshiva and uh, Yeshiva Shalabim. Right. I was there for a year, and then I got back after two years being in in uh, Israel. And my we my parents, my folks had moved to Riverdale, and there was a desire from Bnei Akiva to open a sniff in Riverdale. And they said, "Who do we have in you know Riverdale that we can that can open you know we can use to open a sniff?" And they said, "Well, Danny Bivens just came back from." You know, Israel, he's been there for two years and he's been at Kiva and he's, you know, because I was a Chanich in Bnei Akiva right. and, and, and a Madrich in Bnei Akiva and then, you know, so they said, yeah, you know, maybe he can open up a sniff and, uh, and I was happy to do it, but <clears throat> I had to go around and talk to a few people. So I went to talk to Ravi Weiss. Right. Who was a big, big rabbi in Riverdale. And yeah. at the time, he didn't have a big shul, though. He was a big rabbi, but he didn't have a big shul. He right. had a small little place. Right. And I said, I'd like to have a sniff here, you know, open up sniff. And he said, well, I don't know how much room I have. And, I, you know, and we were expecting, you know, maybe 50 you know, <laughs> kids. And I, and I said, well, we can't get them in here. 
And the other option was the RJC, which right. was uh, another big place right. in Riverdale. And they had the room. They, they had the room. So uh, I spoke to the RJC. I don't remember who was you know, the president there or whatever. And, and they said, you know, for sure. You know, they yeah. were more than happy to have you know, like all the kids come to them and you know, be part of a Shabbat program. And, so we did that, and we had B'nai Kiva. We started B'nai Kiva in, in Riverdale, and uh, we had like uh, close to 100 kids come. For so, so how old were you when you started B'nai Kiva? Well, originally I was 14. 14. When I started, yeah. And so, so you, you mentioned the whole thing of like the dynamic with the boys and the girls, but, but until this point, what was the concept of Aliyah on your radar screen, or was just with B'nai Akiva that no, it started? No, no. We, we, it was uh, basically with B'nai Akiva. I had no dream, I think, of yeah. going to Israel. And uh, so, so suddenly you, you're starting to come home and, and talk to your parents about, hey, you know, we really should be living in Israel. Like, was it that kind of no, thing? No, I didn't talk to my parents about living in Israel. I, 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 I didn't. It took a while for me, not until I did Hakshara. Right. So talk Israel, about that experience. Israel was foreign to me. It was foreign to me. I, a kid growing up in the city, living in New York, it was very hard to imagine, uh, you know, Israel as a place to live. Uh, you know, like you could tell a lot of nice stories and listen to people, but it's that didn't doesn't hit home until you go there. And and I think that's for me that's what did it when I went. Also, you have to remember I. When I got to Israel, I got to Israel in 1973 in the summertime. And I, the first place I got to was Bar Ilan, and I'm 18. Right. And for an 18 year old guy, you know, being in, the, being in a different country is very exciting. And also, you know, you're looking to have a good time also, I guess, you know, so like uh, I'm saying, you know, it was a very exciting time. And I went to Bar, I was in Bar Ilan for, for a month, and then after that we, had, we headed off to Kibbutz Saad. In October, the war broke out. Right. And all of a sudden, all the men on the Kibbutz left, and all these 18-year-old boys from the States who had just gotten to Kibbutz, they became uh, important. Wow! They, because the men were gone, and they needed, and you needed people to run the the Gadash, you know, Gidulei Sadeh, and the and the the business of the yeah, kibbutz, yeah, the Nagaria, yeah, yeah. and 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 all the different places that run the kibbutz. Right. You needed these, you know, eighteen-year-old kids, and we became very important, and that was an amazing feeling to have that responsibility all of, all of a sudden thrust upon you. And like, I, I think everybody was feeling it that year. That, that so year. What, what was your job? So I worked in the Nagaria. I used to... As a carpenter. As a carpenter, yeah, which was right. amazing. Because till today I still, you know, doodle, you know, make things and uh, build stuff. Uh, so it was so, so how many guys were there as part of the program? Uh, around. <clears throat> it was like 15 guys, 8 yeah, guys? Yeah, I think I was like, uh, yeah, 15 boys. Uh, so 15 how, how many ultimately moved to Israel? 
uh, almost all. You know, really? Almost all of them moved to wow. Israel. Right? But, so you that's know, the you, way to do it. You have, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, Hachshara is a tremendous program. Yeah. And uh, it gives you an opportunity to see Israel, to live there, to meet the people, to, to go to places. And then, you know, when you come back to the States, you can always, you know, you, it, I, and it's a very important thing to come back to the States, to go back home, talk to the parents, and then see, you know, like what, I, a lot of people decide not to make Aliyah, you know, it's, you know, they're more comfortable being at home, but I, but I think 90% of us, or 80% of us, wow. decided to make Aliyah, and uh, years later, a couple of years later, a few years later, uh, I came back when I was 20, 25. But I, yeah, I'd been, I'd been for a visit when I was 22, and then I went back home, and I came back again when I was 25. So when, when you finished Hachshara, do you remember the conversation with your parents? Um, well, my Hachshara was a little longer than most people because I decided to stay another year and learn in yeshiva. Oh, you didn't go back between. You just stayed. I stayed for another year. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, I knew if I went back, I, w I would, you know, uh -huh. it would be very hard for me to come back again right. because. Uh, but uh, so I stayed. I stayed for another year. I wanted to learn yeshiva, which is a very interesting story. How I got into yeshiva, but. Uh, <laughs> so 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 you're coming to the end of the. I'm just trying to understand how it all worked out. So you're coming to the end of the first year. Yeah. And. What, you wrote a letter to your parents, or you actually spent money to talk I, to them I on told the phone? them, I told them, yeah, I spent, you know, like I didn't have to, I spoke to them on the phone. I yeah. said, you know, look, you know, Hachshara is over, it's going to be over soon, I want to stay another year. My father said, no, definitely not, I want you to come home, I want you to go to school. Right. I said, I'm going to go to school, but I want to learn yeshiva. You had already been accepted to some kind of university at that point. Well, I don't remember. I went oh, okay. to. I ended up going to Lehman when I got back. Uh -huh, uh -huh, right. But I. But uh, I. I don't remember if I was already accepted. But, but, but it was clear I, that college was, yeah. was part of the deal. Yeah, but I was. Yeah, my father wanted me to go yeah. to, to college, but uh, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't for me. I wanted to spend. A year in yeshiva, at least a year in yeshiva. I didn't tell him at least a year. I just said <laughs> right. a year in yeshiva, and uh, and uh, eventually I did that. The only thing that he wouldn't support me. He said, you know, I'm not supporting you. Wow. So so how'd you pay for it? So what happened was, and this is like a phenomenal story, <laughs> that uh, I went to. Uh, I had a friend, uh, David Sampson, and he right. was learning in uh, Merkaz Rav at the time. And David, a very dear friend, he, you know, I told him I wanted to learn yeshiva, so he said, maybe you could learn here in Merkaz Arab. And uh, I said, but, you know, I don't have any money, and my parents won't support me. He said, you know, speak to Rav Tzvi, Rav Tzvi Yehuda. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, Rav Tzvi Yehuda, when he was alive, right, <laughs> yeah. he had, he used to have, uh, after davening in the morning, he used to, you know, because he davened there every day, he used to have... Uh, breakfast in a small room on the second floor. Just for the listeners, this is Rav Tzvi Yehuda, cook. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so he had a breakfast after. So dawning. he used to have this little breakfast after davening that he used to have, and and it would and then after that, after he had breakfast, he would have like an open, sort of like you, a student could come in and talk to him personally. Like office hours. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So you know you, you know and. Uh, 
it was very interesting. Uh, so David told me this. He said, you know, like maybe you could speak to Rav Sviud and you know and ask him what he thinks. Maybe he'll let you. So I said, okay, fine. Let, let's you know, let me let's do this. So so I slept over one night. The next day we davened, uh, had shacharis, and then after that uh, I had a little bit of breakfast someplace, and then he took me up to his office, you know, right. where where he you know sits. He has breakfast there, and then you know he that's. So I walked in. He was pretty old at the time. Uh, this is 1983, uh, 84, 85, 1985. Right. Right. No, 485. Anyway, so I walk in, and he asked me, you know, you know, what, what can I do for you? Uh, maybe I could learn here in, uh, in America Zarab. So he asked me where, where I'm from and where, where I learned. I told him I learned in Yeshiva and he's in the States. And, and he said to me, I, you know, I, uh, he said to me, uh, I think it would be a little bit hard for you here. Hmm. But there is a Yeshiva. There is a, and there is a Rosh Yeshiva that I think would be very good to go and speak to him. He's a very good Rosh Yeshiva. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think uh, he would be a better place for you. And that was Shalabim, who right. told me. Rav Meir Schlesinger. Who's said. still alive. Who's still alive. Uh, well, he, he's uh, older. He's very old, he's but, very he's, old. but he's still alive. Yeah. I have a friend who, uh, who still uh, has shir with him every week. Really? So yeah. He's an amazing, amazing teacher. Yeah. yeah. So I, th I think you should go and talk to him, because he's a, he's a very, very good uh, Rosh Hashiva. So I told Rav, I told him, okay, thank you, and I walked out, and I told my friend, and I headed off to Shalabim. Shalabim. <laughs> so I came to Shalabim, I walk into the offices there in Yeshiva, and they say, who are you, you know, what are you doing here? I said, I want to talk to Rav Meir And he said, do you have an appointment? I said, no, but... Uh, I, I want to learn in Yeshiva, and, they told, and I was told to come here. And uh, they said, wait a second, you know, Rav Mayor, they went into the, his office and they let me in. So, they, so I'm sitting there in front of Rav Mayor and uh, said, hello, hello. And uh, he says, can I help you? And I said, yes, I, I'd like to come learn in the Yeshiva. I mean, I was on Hakshara, come from the States, I was on Hakshara, I did Hakshara for a year. And I want to learn, uh, you know, yeshiva for you. And uh, I said, but I have, you know, a problem. My parents don't really, you know, didn't, not really backing me. They don't want me, to, you know, come. And, but I yeah. really want to learn. So he says, but how did you get, to, why do you come here? How did you get to, you know? So I said, Rav Svi Yehuda sent me. <laughs> that's, that's a tough one to argue with. <laughs> and he jumped up. He looked at me and said, what? <laughs> what? I said, Rav Tzuyehuda sent me to you. He said, yeah, he, he said, he sent you to me. Yeah, he said that you're a very good Rosh Hashiva and <laughs> that I should come to you and he thinks that I should, uh, that you would probably be a good place. This would be a good place for me to learn. So he didn't say anything. He was like stumped, you know, like for like the longest time. He just, you know. Really? Yeah. And then he You're said, just sitting there together. Yeah, and then he says, okay. He says, okay, we say that. 
he says you you accept it you can you can learn here and, and what I, about the money side he took care of it really really amazing i mean uh, he used to ask me during the during the week if i needed you know some money to you know really really really, really. he really took you under his wing yeah yeah it was ama amazing and i spent a year in uh, shalabim and uh, you know it's a very nice year i ended up leaving you know not abruptly uh, towards the end of the year uh, but uh, i met him years later i don't know he, you know like uh, i don't know how much he remembered but uh, he was an amazing, amazing uh, Rosh Hashiva, amazing wow. person, amazing uh, Rav. Uh, you didn't have thoughts toward the end of that year of just staying in Israel and that's it? Uh, you still felt the need to go back? Yeah. So maybe talk about that a little bit. Why, why, why'd you go back? I had a very intensive first year in Israel because of the Yom Kippur War. Right. It was really special and different and I knew then that I wanted to live in Israel. And I also wanted to learn, you know, after that I wanted to learn. but. I was up in the air still, you know, like I wasn't grounded and I felt that uh, I had to go home and do whatever it is that I have to do to, 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 to make a real decision because the way I felt was that I wanted to live in Israel but everything was based on, you know, like, you know, like this unreal feeling. Sort of, you know, like magical, sort yeah, of like not yeah, realistic. Yes, not, not, and I felt that I had to go back home and uh, see what it was I really wanted and um, I think it was very good for me. And, and I tell young kids, uh, and when I say young kids, I mean young people who are at that stage where they come here and they feel like they want to live here, but they don't really know. And I always tell them, go back to the States, you know, like, and, and see, you know, think about it. And, and live in the States for a while. Mm -hmm. See if it, you know, see where you feel, because you, it gives you a better perspective, you know? Well. Um, I didn't, you know, I couldn't have that perspective if I didn't, wouldn't have gone back. When I got back to the States, even though I had friends here in the States and, yeah. and, I, and <clears throat> I knew the language and I was, you know, I always felt, you know, but I, fe I felt I was missing something. Then I felt that I had to go back to Israel because I, I, I didn't want to live in the States anymore. I was right. fed up, you know, and I, I, but I knew once I went back to the States, I knew. I would eventually live in Israel, but uh, but I would only know that if I were, you know, after going back. And I think that's a good thing to do. As a matter of fact, I had a nephew here that was having problems, and uh, he was here for a couple of years. He was in yeshiva in Jerusalem, and then he he wanted to stay, but he wanted to stay because his friends were staying. Right. And and I said to him, I said, but you're wasting time because you're not you're not really doing anything with yourself, and you're not really you know, you, you, he was living in an apartment and he had to pay for an apartment that he just was staying there because his friends were there. And this is your brother's son? Yeah. And uh, I eventually told him that, you know, I said to him that, you know, go back home, you know, go back to school, go, yeah. go to university, you know, finish, finish university, see, and then see if you really want to live here and then come, you know, if you really want, if that's what you really want to do. But if you don't want to do that, then... Maybe, you know. So did he come back? <clears throat> no, he, he started, he went to YU. So he right. went to YU, so he's in YU now. Right. Oh, he's still there now? Yeah, he, oh, okay. he's there now. So he might come back. Yeah, so he might come back. I don't know, you know, but if, if he doesn't, it's okay. Yeah, you know, because, yeah. Because really, Israel is a very hard place to live. Israel, in the end, 
is a very hard place to live. And I think Americans have to really want to live here. You know, like it's not, I had a, a very good friend who was in, who, who I, I, I grew up with. We were in yeshiva to get together from first grade to high school. Huh. And uh, we both came to Israel for a year. And he ended up going to some yeshiva in Haifa. And he's, today he's a rabbi in the States. But when he was in Haifa, I remember he used to tell me, you know, I don't understand how Israel could be um, so, you know, chiloni. Yeah. You know, like, I would say, well, it's a country like any other country, you know, <laughs> but they ride on Shabbat and they, you know, and they have ball games and they, you know, like, and they eat treif. I said, this is Eretz He said to me, this is Eretz Israel. How could it be like this in Eretz Israel? And he, and he, and he couldn't deal with he it. He couldn't deal with it. And yeah. so he went back to the States and, 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 you know, he's a rabbi. He teaches in, he's, you know, in Chicago. He's, he's a great guy. But you know, I, I personally think that he's missing out. And he probably thinks maybe, you know, wait for the Mashiach to come. Yeah. And yeah. Israel might be a different place, you know. So you finished college. And then you came back right away, or what was what was your plan? First of all, I didn't finish college. I oh, dropped okay. out of college. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then I, I so came, you finished your college experience. Yeah, right. Let's say it that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I and then I came to Israel. Uh, I already because I was part of Bnei Kiva, and we had already my shichva, my mm -hmm. group in Bnei Kiva, had already made. Um, um, plans to live in Israel on Tiratzvi, because what happens is that uh, each group gets assigned through B'nai, through Kibbutz Adati, which kibbutz they're going to, and most of the the Garinim right. they get appointed uh, to a kibbutz. Uh, it's Aliyah kibbutz. It's not Aliyah. Is this still the case? I don't know. My, I don't think so changed. anymore. Yeah, yeah, might have changed. But back uh, in, in those days. Yeah, in those days. Uh, yeah, trying to but, populate the country. Yeah, but uh, they were, <laughs> yeah, and there were a lot of young kibbutzim or, yeah. you know, growing kibbutzim. And, and uh, by the time it got to our group, uh, they had, uh, kibbutz Dati had realized that Americans and they need more settled kibbutzim as opposed to younger kibbutzim because it's harder to adjust, I guess, so right, to younger right. kibbutzim. They need places that are established more. So Tiratsu is pretty established, and um, we we made uh, some families made aliyah here. So when I got back to Israel, I had like one or two families living on Tiratsu already who knew me from back there, and and. Uh, Helped me get integrated, you know, settled down in Tiratzvi, and sure. uh, and then I met my wife. I met my wife. How old were you at this point when you came to Tiratzvi? Twenty-five. I so you came 25. here. So hold on a second. I'm just trying to do the math. You're in Israel for two years. So when you get back to the states after Shalavim, you're twenty. After after Shalavim, you're yeah. twenty. R right. You start college. Okay, whatever happens, happens. And then you worked in the States for a couple of yeah, years? Yeah, I worked, I worked ah, in the okay. States, yeah. I worked, uh, I did, yeah, I had a few things, but the, the one thing that I did the most was uh, closed, circuit, closed circuit TV installations oh, okay. 
in the, on the Lower East, you know, I used to work mostly on the Lower East Side in the Diamond District. Right, right. But uh, where the Jews were. Well, yeah. <laughs> Coincidentally. Uh, can, yeah, but we used to, yeah, a lot of places that they wanted to, you know, keep an eye on their stuff, you know. Okay, so you come here with the Galeen. Yeah. Right? And what's life like that first year or two on kibbutz? Uh, uh, you're working in Chaklaut. Right. Most, you know, if you come to, yeah, yeah, if you come to kibbutz, you're basically working or in the fields or in the, or in the orchards or in the fish ponds if there are fish ponds in the kibbutz. So and it's a physical labor. It's not, you know, but some people, you know, have aptitudes for, you know, accounting or doing other stuff, you know, and they can do that also. Electro electronics or, right. you know, being a, a electrical engineers in the kibbutz, they need that also. Sure. So, uh, but I was happy to get a job, you know, doing, you know, uh, working in the orchards. So, right. So I worked in the dates for about, uh, I didn't even know where Lulav came from, you know, until I got to, <laughs> until I got to work in the date orchards. Right. It's phenomenal, you know. All the date palms, they're all Lulavim. They're just, you know, gro like grown there out. they are, right? Yeah, they're, yeah, they're just grown out, you know. Yeah. You don't yeah. realize it, but when they're small, they're Lulavim, you know. And so, so Tiratsvi has a very big Lulav business. We, we export. Oh, okay. Yeah, to the States, and, and lulavs are very dairy, the dairy lulav. It's very, you know, like, it's the straightest. Interesting. Yeah, so... So for how many years were you doing that? Yeah, so I did that. <coughs> I was in the orchards for about uh, nine, nine years. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then I went to the meat factory. I worked in the meat factory for about four years. Like the Tiratsvi yeah, meat, meat factory, factory. the well-known brand yeah, of meat. Yeah, Tiratsvi, yeah. yeah. And they imported, they export to the States. Right, sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I did that for four years. Uh, and then I decided, well, I was involved with the, uh, the culture committee on the kibbutz. And at the time, they were putting in closed-circuit TVs. Uh, well, closed circuit TV uh, cables, right? You know, connecting all the members of all the houses. Yeah. So what they would do is, you know, they would have um, a movie night, and somebody would put a video into the main. Uh, oh, and everybody could watch. And it. Everybody could watch it. Yeah. yeah. So they did that, and I said, I was on the committee one day, and I said, Why are we just using it for, you know, putting movies? Why don't we make programming for the keyboards. Oh, wow. And so they looked at me and I said, and they said, well, what do you, how, how would you do that? And I said, well, we could film a lot of different things going on in the keyboards. We get, uh, you know, somebody to, um, to explain about it, like, uh, you know, a news reporter going out and interviewing people. And, and then we could, we could film that and then we can edit it and put music on it. And uh, we could have a, I had made the idea, but they needed people to do it, and, and, and just by chance there was a guy from Hungary who was going through Giyur, him and his wife, they wanted to convert, and, and they were living here, and right. he had studied, in Hungary, had studied filmmaking, so he agreed to do the filming and editing, and we had this little program that we used to put on for every two weeks, we put on a program called Shvuayim. Uh, Wow. Yeah. So it lasted for about half a year. 
because um, eventually people got tired of running around, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and you, all the lachats of, you know, programming, you know, we have to, you know, do this and we have to do that. And right. Sometimes kibbutzniki are hard to deal with, huh? so, uh, <laughs> but it was very, very popular, very successful, and uh, successful. Until until we stopped, yeah, yeah, and then uh, it was unfortunate, but uh, but eventually I I asked the kibbutz I wanted to go study filming, so they let me study film uh, in Jerusalem. So I went to to uh, this place called Maale in Jerusalem, right? It's film school. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, but uh, it's a film school for religious uh, guys. Oh, okay. And uh, it's in Jerusalem, and uh, I went there for three years, and I studied film. And uh, when I got out, <coughs> when I finished, I, um, I um, well, I made a documentary. That uh, that was one of my projects, and it was about my father. Oh, okay. Uh, but it wasn't so much about him. It was. It's a very small film. My father comes to the bar mitzvah of his grandson right. in Israel, mm -hmm. and. Uh, and because he's a very charismatic person, I, uh, I knew he'd be good, you know, like for the 15, 20 minutes of film that I would make. And uh, we, we had a little bit of a talk about him becoming Jewish, and he talks about it on the film. <coughs> it's a small film, it's called Pintel Ayid. Good so, name, yeah, very good uh, name. Yeah. How'd you meet your wife? I know it was here. Yeah, yeah, uh, very romantic. Uh, uh, in Yad. H had she grown up here? Yeah, she's, okay. uh, she's, her parents are, f uh, are from the uh, founders, you know. Wow. Like, yeah, they're part of the, the early settlers of, of Tiratsvi. And her mother's from Hamburg. Right. And her father was born in Denmark, but he moved to Germany. Their parents, his parents moved to Germany, and um, they, uh, <coughs> they left during the, you know, just before the war broke out, they right. went to, England, and they were in Hakshiran, England, and um, then they came to Tiratsvi. But their family, the family that stayed in uh, Germany, uh, most of them perished. Uh, yeah. So she grew up without a grandmother, and uh, now she's a grandmother of <laughs> 10. Yeah. Of 10? 10. So, so, I mean, obviously you're both on the kibbutz, so that's how you meet, but like, how did you meet? Like, how did you know you were right for each other? You know, the, the whole thing. I mean, obviously you come from very different backgrounds. How many native English speakers are there in Tiratsvi? Not so many. Well, there are a lot of English speakers who, who especially from the older, the older. Oh, is that true? Because uh, they went to, even the Germans who, went to, who came here knew a, little, knew a lot of English. and. And some of them who did Hakshira went to England, so they had to learn English, and they got to So you're saying her parents were English speakers? Her parents spoke because English. Because they came they through England? Yeah, they could speak, yeah, they could speak English well. And, um, and um, that wasn't talking, you know, communicating wasn't a problem so much with them. The uh, Ashkenazim, Yakis, Yakim. Yeah. Tiratsvi is a Yeki kibbutz. Uh, it's got a lot of Polish people in it also, but okay. it's a lot of the Yeki more the you know, part of the founders. And uh, 
I don't know how we met. Uh, you know, it's mean, like a classic, like kibbutz, like dancing yeah, well, the horror around actually, the dance, like actually, the, the campfire. Yeah, like, actually, is it that actually, kind of thing? Actually, um, my wife was still in the army when I first come to the kibbutz. Right. So I never saw her, you know, around. Only on Shabbatot. And I used to ask the guys, you know, like, who is that girl? Really? <laughs> yeah, because I knew all the other girls. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know this one. Yeah. And uh, eventually she got out of the army and she stayed and she came on the keep, you know, she was back home. So I, you know, I got, I got to know her and my boss, who was the head of the date at the, the orchard the right. where I was working, she, when she got back, she had to work, you know, like everybody else, you know, and, they, and she worked in, sometimes she worked in chaklaut, you know, right. in agriculture, and they would put her in a date sometimes to help out. And uh, my boss, who sort of knew I had a thing for her, he, he's, he would put us together on a really? cherry picker. <laughs> We'd be alone up there talking picking to each other, dates. picking dates. A date date. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. That's yeah. That that was the beginning of it, yeah. and uh, yeah, the rest is history. Did you serve in the army? Yeah, I went to the army for I I did um, what they call shlav bet because I was already married by the time they got they called me to the army. Right. And uh, had a kid. I had my first. My my oldest was born. So. I only did uh, what, a half year. I think it was uh, four months or a half year. I did the. Basic training was uh, like, I don't even remember now. We did, most of it was basic training and then they sent us to Kors Chofshin. Right. I did that uh, for a couple of months and I did go, my first Miluim was going back to Kors Chofshin so that they would raise the, my, my uh, Dalga of Chovesh. Uh, so we'll do a little translation here. Uh, med you were tra training to be a medic, right? And right. and it was your uh, your um, profile. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. My, yeah. So I what what I, what what I did basic training, and after my basic training, they sent me straight to medics course. Right. And I did the medics course for two months, and then uh, I I got out of the army, and when they called me back for my first reserve duty. It wasn't reserve duty. They, it was a, like a continuation of my medics course because they wanted to raise the, the my my level. Right. And, uh, so I did that for another two months, and then and then uh, and then then my my next reserve duty was in Lebanon, and I went to Lebanon in eighty two. In eighty two. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really uh, yeah that was scary. Lebanon was I mean. I don't never want to go back to go to war, you know. Again, I mean that was. I didn't do much uh, or see much because I was in part of a medical uh, in a medical uh, tent right. with the doctor and the other uh, medics, and we only had patients come in to us, right. you know. And, right. But we we didn't do anything but wait for patients to come in. It's like but, mash. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And so we, but. I remember going into Lebanon, and uh, you know, like you're, after a certain amount of time, you're supposed to get you know time off to go back home and then come back. And I said, I don't want to go back home and come back. I want to, <laughs> I want to uh, push my you know, free time, you know, whatever right. time that you're going to give me to the end. And right. then 
go home and not have to. So I did that and I stayed there for like a few weeks. Uh, you, in other we, words, you wanted to fulfill all of your responsibility in one shot. Yeah, in one shot. Yeah. Not have to, you know, go back and come. Because going, going to Lebanon, traveling there is, is hard, you know, scary. It's, it's uh, you know, you're always on alert. You know, you have to always be, uh, you know, and, and uh, people who, well, you know, like, I'm not a hero, you know. <laughs> I'm not, not that type of hero, anyway. So, uh, yeah, war is scary, yeah. And then you did Miluim for years? Yeah, and then I did Miluim for years. I always did it as a, as a medic until, uh, until I was 40, 45, and right. then I uh, stopped. And right. That was the best thing, you know, having, not having to go to Miluim again. Uh, right. Yeah, because... I, I have a couple more questions for you. Okay. Um, uh, and then we'll go to the rapid-fire questions that, uh, okay. you know, some of them are really fun, some of them are kind of deep. We'll, we'll get to those. But um, when you first arrived here, like the whole Ethiopian Aliyah hadn't really happened yet. Exactly. Yeah. So what was it like being a black person in Israel then? What's it like being a black person in Israel now? Yeah, it's a good How question. How does that factor into your life? That's, that's a good question because... Um, um, you know, when I first came to Israel, it was in the early, uh, again, 1980, 1983, used to call, they used to call me, you know, it's not an intelligent thing that people do sometimes when they, you know, yell out, you know, but there were people that used to yell out, Olsi, uh, Olsi, you know, and I never understood what they were saying. I don't, I don't know what that means. Yeah, but, okay. you know, but you've heard of Olsi Perry. No. A basketball player? No. Oh, he was an Israeli basketball he player was, who was American? Yeah, he was an American basketball player, uh, a black American who, who came here yeah, yeah, to yeah. play basketball right. in, the, in the early 80s. And he was here way before I got here. Got you it. Know? And uh, there was this big thing about him, you know, like he was a really, really famous uh, basketball player. He, had, he ended up staying. And like they, a Tal Brody kind of story. Yeah, and he stayed. Yeah, and he, I think, he, and he married somebody, and um, I think he converted even, you know, in the end. Uh, yeah, but but he was very famous. Right. So you so know, they were calling was, you that. So they were calling me that because the Israelis had a very like uh, immature and also yeah. uh, um, you know like uh, they didn't. Black, there weren't a lot of blacks here. There were blacks, uh, Arabs, they have, you know, blacks, they have bl uh, black people from Sudan, mm -hmm. you know, who come, who live basically, a lot of them live in Yericho or, you know, Arab villages. Uh, but black Israelis, not, they're not a lot. Um, uh, so so uh, in the very beginning, there weren't a lot of blacks, and I always felt a little bit you know, unique or different, you know, but there's not, <clears throat> the prejudice is not like it is in the States, it's not that type of, you know, if there is prejudice, but I couldn't even call it that. It's sort of, you know, like this uh, naivety, you know, like, right. you know, that, that people have, you know, like, um, <clears throat> there's prejudice against Arabs, but that I will say, you know, yeah. and, um, it hurts me a lot of times to hear people talk about Arabs the way they do, because I understand what that, you know, even they think they're justified, but it's not, it, there's a lot of uh, prejudice. Anyway, so as far as uh, blacks are concerned, then the Ethiopians came, and it was very interesting because uh, 
when they came, there was a lot of reactions about the Ethiopians coming, and there was a lot of, you know, things that happened, you know. And a lot of, some of the stuff, you know, was really based on prejudice, you know, like there were incidents where they wouldn't let the Ethiopians swim, you know, in the same pool as, you Oh, know. really? It's like, yeah, this is like, like, no, this is stuff This is like, like early 60s U.S. kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, this is stuff that was happening, you right. know, like, uh, you know, different places, but you didn't hear a lot about it. Right. It was very, you know, like, uh, you know, here and there, but not a lot, of, not a lot. Um, the thing that really hurt me about their aliyah was the, the blood, uh, the, uh, when they threw away the blood, I don't know if you remember this, <clears throat> but there was an incident where um, when they would take blood from the Ethiopians. Oh, they would just throw it away. They would just throw it away wow. after that. And a news reporter found out about it. And, and the reason they threw it away, the doctor said, and there was a, it was yeah, a horror. Like a hepatitis or yeah, Because they, they felt, no, they felt that the, the blood might have AIDS. They were afraid okay. of AIDS at the time. Okay. And, uh, and they wouldn't, but they didn't check it, you right. know, like they wouldn't even bother checking it, you know. Yeah. So they wouldn't say anything to the Ethiopian right. who wanted to give blood, but they would take it and then they would, you know, like, and toss, it. toss it afterwards. Gosh. And that was, you know, when they found out about that, there was this big rally and, and I went. Yeah. I went because I, you know, it was the first time in my life that I ever, you know, like went to some because I, I thought that it was horrendous, you know, and, and they've been, I think, in Israel's history, uh, you know, a lot of things that they've done medically that, uh, that I w you know, this country shouldn't be proud of that, but uh, that was one of them. And um, anyway, so, but, but again, I can understand the fear, you know, like the fear. They should have checked it though. Uh, but it's not, uh, and, and maybe that has something to do with prejudice, I don't know, you know, I, I think more, it has more to do with uh, a stupid fear that, and somebody's, you know, who on top, who made a stupid order, gave a stupid order to all the, all the men, you know, hospitals. Well, you, you hope, you know, yeah. yeah. But um, it's not the same thing like in the States. It's not the, you know, it's not that type of, you know, prejudice, and th I don't think they're, you know, like, towards black people, I don't think there is prejudice in this country, you know, towards black people. I don't think there's prejudice in this country towards, y you know what it is, it's like somebody explained it to me. He says, every new group that comes to Israel, you know, it's their turn to get, you know. <laughs> to get, get beaten a little bit, beaten you know, a little bit, have their know, problems. Like made fun of a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, the Russians too. Yeah, every group. But the Moroccans before the Ethiopians. Exactly, and, so, yeah. so eventually, but eventually, you know, like everybody, you know, like, uh, and I think here, I think also it's not the same thing. Once I remember when the Ethiopians came and I was in a group, I was in the middle in, and so we were, you know, like a bunch of soldiers, uh, old men sitting <laughs> around talking about, you know, what it means for them to come to Israel. And then somebody had said, you would let your daughter marry an Ethiopian? And I said, what's wrong with that? You know, like, what's the problem? He wasn't talking to me, talking uh -huh, to somebody uh -huh, else, uh -huh. but I asked him, what's wrong with that? And then he got a little bit afraid, you know? Yeah. I, I said, why is that such a big issue? You know, like, if he's Jewish and this and that, you know, like, what's the... And today you see it. I mean, today you see Ethiopians and, yeah, you know, the definitely. you know, and, and uh, I mean, me and my wife, we, when we got married, it was a very unusual thing, especially, 
I think in Israel you didn't see a lot of mixed couples, but right. Uh, but also, but, like coming from the background she came from, like, you can't get more white than that. Like yeah. it wasn't like she was tan. <laughs> you know, it's like very white. Yeah, she's yeah, she's got a little, <laughs> little uh, yekke blood. In her. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, but. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's, I've come to realize, you know, like, uh, and this is what hurts, uh, when I think about it, uh, you know, like all of us, all of mankind, we're all the same. We're all, we're, we're all the same. We just, and the idea of race and, and, you know, dividing people up because of their color is, is something that didn't exist you know, in the beginning. There was no such thing as blacks or whites or, you know, yellows or reds. You know, they were just, you know, people who had different, you know, different skin colors, but they all, they're all the same. And, you know, they're all brothers. I mean, if we couldn't, uh, if you look at my children and you look at my grandchildren, yeah, you know, like I see it, you know, like I, I see, I have granddaughters who are, you know, they look, you know, white, you know, and you couldn't tell, you know, that they have a grandfather like me. And, right. And it's funny, you know, like, uh, and they're my granddaughters, you know, yeah. like I love them and there's no difference and there's no, and it's like that, I think, the, you know, world over, I think uh, we just, they, you know, somebody made up this thing and the you know people fell into it you know this thing that there's different colors there are different races and this is and this race is inferior and this race is this and this is that and it's, it's all you know a, a scheme to divide to to divide you know humanity instead of humanity it's all the same yeah you know i think people talk about kibbutz kaluyot you know in terms of uh the one of the precursors of the completion of the geulah okay. Um, but the kibbutz kaliyot, in terms of what you're talking about, about is also a precursor to fixing the entire world. Exactly. So, so you know, here we are. And, and by the way, my wife and I, I guess we're kind of mixed also because she's Persian and I'm Lithuanian. And yeah. and one of my like one of my daughters married a guy who's Tunisian, and mm-hmm. you know, and like and and yeah. it's all gonna just. Mixed together, no, and we're just going to be Jews living in the Jewish country, nahan, nahan. and so we can we can export that concept to the rest of the world. Uh, I think that's what yeah, that's what uh, coming home and living and living here is about. I think uh, all the Jews from all from all over, you know, will come here, and and we can create a society that you know is you know, beautiful and. And, you know, like I used to say, they used to say that New York is the melting pot. Right. And I used to think, no, it isn't. I said, Israel. Every block is a different country in New York. Yeah. (laughs) Israel is the melting pot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Israel is the melting pot. Israel's got, it's got everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wish, you know, I wish that, that more, you know, Jews from different ethnicities would come you know, like in Beitshan, they brought these Jews from uh, India, right? Who look like uh, Chinese, look a little bit, you know, Chinese-like. You mm-hmm. know, it's very. We had this little kid working with us, you know, in the Chadarocha, and uh, you know, he's got this. He looks like he's Japanese, you know. Right. 
and he's Jewish, you know, and it's beautiful to yeah. see people that are different. That you know, it's it's a beautiful thing, and and the fact that we're different looking and we're all shapes and sizes and colors, and I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing, and <laughs> uh, I'm very happy and proud that I live in Israel, and uh, <laughs> and I thank God every day. You haven't said anything about your parents' reaction to you deciding to build your life here. How was that? And how <clears throat> has it developed over the years? My father was uh, always pro-Israel, always gung-ho Israel. I mean, he wanted to convert and he thought that, uh, he thought that uh, Israel was the place that all the Jews should live. Uh, I mean, as far as my father was concerned, I, he was very happy that I was living in Israel and that I married an Israeli. I mean, he right. couldn't be happier about that. My mother, was less connected to, uh, I didn't talk about this before, but it's not, you know, I, my mother was less involved in the conversion and, and wanting to be converted. She came from um, uh, a small family in Puerto Rico. My mother was Puerto Rican. And she was, and they were Christian or Catholic yeah. in Puerto Rico. Catholic probably, yeah. yeah and, um, she had gone to church before she <laughs> met my father. Right. You know. But, as, you know, living with us, she had, you know, stopped and you know, she wasn't involved in it. But my father and mother had a very uh, tumultuous uh, marriage, you know, and uh, after many years they finally separated. Uh, my mother was uh, always happy to do whatever she needed to do so that we would be okay, so the kids would be okay. Right. And if that meant, uh, you, know, you know, preparing things for Shabbat and doing stuff because we asked her to do it, and this is the way it was supposed to be done, I would drive her crazy, but she would do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not that she was into it, she wasn't. My father right. was uh, very much into, yeah. into everything, you know, like, and my mo my mother, you know, was a very introverted person, and my father is very extroverted. Person. Right. And uh, it was hard for them. They're uh, hard for her. I was uh, related more to my mother. I was because I was the oldest. I was very sensitive, and mm -hmm. and uh, I could always see her pain. You know, a little bit. I could see her. <clears throat> my father, he was just, you know. My father was big as life, you know, and he people would love my father. You know, <laughs> right. he was uh, very energetic, and you know, he always had a smile on. He could captivate people when he talked, and he, you know, and things that I wish I had, but I don't. You know, and, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I, I was my, I guess my mother's son more than than my father, but. Uh, but I understood my father. I knew, I knew where my father was coming from. I knew uh, his desire. You know. In the end, my father was, he always wanted to be Jewish, but more than that, he always uh, believed in um, his, I guess, destiny. You know? Right. He always believed that this is, what, this is what he was supposed to do. This was where he was supposed to be. In the end of his life, I brought him here to the kibbutz. He lived here for about six years. Right. And he passed away here. 
living uh, living on the kibbutz. He was very happy on Tiratzvi. He loved it. He loved it. He loved it. And uh, in the end, he's buried here in right. Tiratzvi. And uh, that was that was what he what he wanted. Wow. An incredible, incredible story. Yeah. Okay, let's get to some fun questions. Okay. You ready? Yeah, okay. <coughs> in the Bibbins home, Heinz or Israeli ketchup? Whatever they sell in the uh, Hanut. <laughs> Is it ever Heinz? I don't think so. No? No, I think it's uh, more uh, the Israeli brand, whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. that is. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome, okay. Uh, the Israeli food you love the most. By the way, I normally ask, we ask people also, Kedem or Israeli grape juice, but I know they don't sell Kedem here, so no, no. <laughs> we can move on and from I that would know, I would tell you Kedem. Uh, oh, you would? Yeah, I would say, yeah. <laughs> uh, Israeli food that you really love? Uh, Israeli food that I really love. That's a hard one. I mean, because everything here is Israeli, you know, like, uh, yeah. Yeah, but growing up in New York, you remember what food was like there versus what food is here. Yeah. Yeah, I miss uh, some of the stuff that we used to have in the States. We'll get to that. <laughs> okay. Uh, stuff that I really love here um, Israeli food. I mean, what's Israeli food? Falafel? Sure. I don't really love falafel. <laughs> no, I don't have a food that I really Okay, love. we can move on. Is there an Israeli food where you're like, how the heck can people actually like that stuff? Yeah. yeah. What? Schug. <laughs> I can't. I don't understand how. People what don't you like that. about it? No, I just uh, I'm I you know for me you know hot stuff you know or putting sugar on something. If I order falafel, you know they always ask me, you want sugar? And I say no. Right. I don't you know don't I, I don't go near the stuff. I understand Taimonim love you know can eat it and they don't have a problem. <laughs> I, I just sugar uh, is something that uh, definitely don't like. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, the Israeli Hebrew accent. Yeah. Is it something you've consciously worked on? Do you have it? Do you not have it? Do you yeah. talk like an American? No, I don't have an Israeli accent, but I don't think I have much of an American accent. And probably because, I don't, you know, first of all, I probably have a speech impediment, uh, some sort of speech in, impediment or something that uh, you can hear, you know, if you listen carefully. But I um, also... Um, my mother was, uh, I said she was Puerto Rican and um, she didn't speak English very well and, and I think I have a little bit of what she had because huh. um, I know people say to me that my English is not uh, great, you know, but uh, some of the, you know, so I write much better than I speak. Well, it might just be 40 years in Israel, like, you yeah, know. Yeah, I don't think so, no, uh -huh. it's much, uh, no. But they, was my father was a great speaker. He was like an or you know, he could speak to crowds and yeah, yeah, he yeah. Had, yeah. Uh, um, What brings you to tears for happy reasons in Israel? What about life here brings you to tears? Uh, <clears throat> uh, my life, I think, when I think about the good things, you know, I think about my, my, my grandkids, my kids. And, and uh, really, because um, I realize that it's not, I realize that it's not, there's so much going on in, in the world and there's so many, you know, especially today, so many terrible things that are happening and, and kids that are growing up that don't understand, you know, who they are what, and people, what they are. 
and uh, I thank God every day. Hmm. I thank God that I'm here. I thank God that my kids are here. I thank God that we live the life that we do. And, and every day I thank God. Hmm. What's your favorite place to be in Israel, other than, other than your home? I like the north more than I like the south. I like uh, the north of Israel. Uh, I, um, I used to spend, I used to uh, go to Miluim. I used to be in Marom, used to go to Marom, which is very, to me, it's uh, the wooded area and yeah. the trees. I love that. You know, I love the north better than, I mean, better than the south of Israel. That's yeah. my own personal preference. <laughs> yeah. But I think the most beautiful place for me, uh, there's a place, um, I mean, north of uh, uh, Afula, uh, going towards Hartavor. Uh, yeah, Hartavor is very nice. Yeah. So I like that very much. Yeah, if yeah, I could yeah. afford to buy a house there, I would buy a house there. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. a beautiful area. Yeah. Just yeah. like up from Yavniel. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 around, yeah. yeah up from very, around. very nice. Okay. All right. What do you miss about the place you came from? Now you can talk about food. <laughs> or, I don't know, whatever you want to talk about. What do you miss about New York, about the States? Uh, <clears throat> I miss, uh, the, only, the, the big thing is Sunday, because we don't have Sundays here. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I, I don't work on Fridays, so that's like a real big step in the direction of, uh, you know, not working one day a week. But Sundays uh, is preferable. <laughs> to, to Friday, and I wish, I wish I had that here. Um, I'm probably there are a lot of Americans who live here who don't work on Sundays. Uh, oh, they work like U.S. jobs or whatever. That kind oh of yeah, maybe I, you know I, I I don't I you know I don't know. I think it, it's probably, especially if you're independent, maybe it's mm. you know you could probably pick not to work on Sunday. But I, I that's one of the things I miss on miss about uh, the States, uh, Sundays. Uh, is Aliyah for everyone? No. Talk about that. Uh, like I think I said before that Israel is a very hard place to live. It's, uh, it's a hard country. It's, it's uh, the every the bureaucracy, the bureaucracy is uh, terrible. And I know it eats away at people who come from the States where things are easier. Uh, here it's you know waiting online for hours sometimes if you have to do something, um, and and clerks are not efficient, you know and um, and I find that people you know don't do their jobs the way they should. There's a lot of that you know uh, haphazard type of uh, attitude working working with people uh, there's not enough uh, I think um, it's unfortunate because it could be fixed it could be remedied there was an article in the Jerusalem Post about um, about uh, the customer is always right and right. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and and in Israel it's not the, it's not the case it's not the case. People in Israel, many times the customer is not even the customer. Right. You know, <laughs> and people don't won't deal with you if the, if you walk into a store. Sometimes, yeah, uh, yeah that, those things are you know really unfortunate because it could be so much better. You no, know, and I think that's that's 
that's why Americans should come. You know, they should be they should bring more Americans to this country to influence that that type of work ethic. You know? Have you seen progress in that area in, no, in these forty I years? I don't. Uh, a little bit, but not much. Not much. Not much. There's a young girl that I go to in uh, Beijing. She when I get glasses. Now I go to her because. Out of all the people that I've been to over the years, this person happens to be the most efficient, the most gracious. <laughs> Service-oriented. She's, she's Service-oriented, she's thorough, she's very nice to you when she you know, sees you and you know, greets you, and uh, very helpful. And I haven't found that among other people. So when I, people ask me about getting glasses, and you know, I, I say, go to this person, because mm -hmm. I wouldn't go to anybody else. Yeah. And uh, I wish that other places would have you know, you know, people like her. Yeah. Um, if there was going to be a magnet on your refrigerator that had like a slogan that you live by, what would it be? That's a good question. It could be Hebrew or English. Or Spanish, now that I know that your mother was Puerto Rican. <laughs> no. It probably would be, uh, probably take it m minute out of your day to thank God for what you have. Just to thank God once a day, you know. Uh, just really think about it, you know, yeah. and, and say, you know, and look at your <coughs> life and just say, you know, see how good it is and how wonderful, uh, you know, God is to you and the things that you have, you know, and not so much contemplate the things that you don't have, you know, but be happy for what you do have. And I, I am so thankful, you know. Yeah. Danny Bibbins, thank you very much for your time and for returning again to your Aliyah story. Wishing you only success in the years to come. Thank you very much. Thank you.